podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. How is everyone doing? Oh, whoa, what's going on? Jesus, that was some entry. That was some start. Apologies, I don't have any entrance music or whatever you want to call it. Team tune. I saw someone in the comments saying they were waiting for the ska. It is coming up in a moment. I didn't want to play it twice on the same podcast because I do have a pre-recorded podcast that I will be playing directly after this within the stream, which I really want you guys to stay on for and watch because it's with Josh from A View From The Stands discussing our forward options. And he has some really great takes on what our forward options were um, and how they played within the 2021-2022 season. But obviously I'm here and I want to chat to you guys about a bombshell signing. Bombshell announcement today. Neil Critchley in the house. Neil Critchley, Blackpool manager, um, rocks up at Aston Villa. And yeah, I, I, I like colour me absolutely and utterly shocked. We'd spoken on podcasts previously about Mike Garrahy being the man to come in. Um, obviously, he had the Blackpool connection. That's who we thought we were signing. Uh, we fleetingly mentioned it was disappointing that we did that. It, that Neil Critchley was in a job because we thought there was no way that he could get the role or that he would leave the role. Um, which you'd have to admit, you know, being a manager, and then next thing all of a sudden, um, next thing all of a sudden, uh, you you move to become a, an assistant manager. Um, in the Premier League, and, and and you know you have to really kind of think that that's um that that's going to be the case that you're not going to do that. But lo and behold, there seems to be something in this. Stephen Jared knocks on your door. If Stephen Jared knocks on your door and says he wants to come in for tea, he's got something important to say to you. Did it with Bubakar Kamara, and Bubakar Kamara said it as well. He said Stephen Jared came visited me. That great video that you can see where Stephen Jared meets Kamara. He, he says to him, "Where's your dad? Where's your dad? Is that your is your dad down there? Must go down. I must go down and see him." Jared goes down, schmoozes with the father as well. Jared sits with uh, or goes to Neil Critchley's um, gaff, meets him, does the deal, gets him in at Aston Villa. And to be honest with you, this has kind of sent shockwaves through through the football league. Um, because the football league, specifically um, Blackpool fans, and, and and I've got great time for Blackpool fans. They've been through the mire. I'm, I'm never going to go two-footed in the Blackpool fan. Not a hope in hell. They've been through the mire with ownership issues. They've been through the mire with uh, just everything. Everything since they've been in the Premier League has been really bad. And this was the green shoots of recovery for them. Neil Critchley comes in, takes over them in League One, builds them up through the playoffs, plays some really good football with them and gets them to finish 16th in the in the in the championship with only a minus four goal difference, which is which is an interesting statistic in itself. But I'm not going to go in two footed, never ever would go in two footed in another fan base, specifically a fan base in, in a lower division. And Blackpool fans should feel aggrieved tonight, but I hope they get back on their feet. But I was listening to 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 um some of the reactions, some of the reaction pods they've been doing and they're they're genuinely distraught. Um, with, with regards to this, um, which I think that they have every single right to feel that way because um, it has sent, sent shockwaves through the Football League because I think a lot of other Football League clubs that have gone down the route of maybe signing coaches to come in, I'm not saying that this is going to become the norm, but I think a lot of them might be looking and going, oh no, hopefully hopefully our coach doesn't maybe get cold feet or maybe think that they're they're not up to the task of being a manager and then want to go and become a um, a Premier League number two again. Very unlikely, I know. I'm completely aware of that. It is very unlikely, I know. But um, we will uh, we will keep an eye on that. Um, another kind of interesting thing with regards to um, uh, another another uh, interesting thing with regards to Neil Critchley was he only signed a new five year contract. I think it was in December. It's like six months ago, he signed a new five year contract with Blackpool. So Villa are gonna have, gonna pony it up some wanga to get uh, to get Neil Critchley out of there. Um, which is an interesting one as well. But as I say, Stephen Gerrard knocked on his door and got him. He, he was the man that they had identified. I'm wondering if there was, if this, like, this is obviously not something that just happened since yesterday, since Michael Beale left Aston Villa. I think this is something that's been been in conversation for quite a period of time. And um, yeah, as I say, it's, it, it's, it's definitely uh, a plus point. There's been a lot said about Neil Critchley recently, or not recently, well, since he's, 
been announced at six o'clock or whatever time it was. Um, and there was one big thing that was mentioned about UEFA elite license that he has. So some of you may have seen that. He's one of 16 people ever to have gotten the UEFA elite license. Now, that sounds great in the face of it, okay? And I'm really happy with Neil Critchley. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not picking holes in this. But the UEFA elite license, you look at the other people that have it. One of them is, I think, selling stocks and shares now. Um, a lot of them are working out, working in. Um, one of them is the Wolves under twenty three boss. There's two of them in the in the Newcastle Academy. Uh, there's one of them coaching over in China. There was only ever sixteen of them because it was only ever ran for one year. I think back in two thousand and thirteen, if memory serves me right. And um, now still, it is the highest coaching badge that can be given out or has ever been given out. So there is still merit that they would have had to go through that coaching course. But for me, Neil Critchley is. Without a shadow of a doubt, looking at the names on the list, none of them would jump off. One of them is is managing the Utah Royals. Is that what they're called in uh, in the US? But apart from that, and um, the most um, impressive, I think the most impressive CV has been from Neil Critchley. He has got on to manage, obviously, Blackpool, has been instrumental within the, the, the Liverpool Academy. For those of you who don't know, he would have been academy boss uh, at um, Aku Alexandra, first of all. He was academy manager there for six years, from 07 to 2000, seven years, really, 07 to 2014. Um, then he was Liverpool manager of the under-18s. He was manager of the Liverpool youth teams, Liverpool manager under-23s, managed against us in the Carabao Cup um, as well in that infamous Marabo Carabao Cup match um, when they had to play their kids and then obviously went on to become Blackpool manager. So uh, Neil Critchley is no mug. He's no fool. He's managing for... He's at coaching and managing underage youth players, I suppose, really, uh, for the last 15 years. So he has got a lot of experience and he's 43. And as I say, he does have the pro license, which is the gold standard, I suppose, of um, of, of coaching badges, just like Michael Beale did. He also was one of the people that was picked to do the elite license in 2013 by the FA. And that was... Uh, that that was something that he he uh, he did as well, and uh, he's definitely been the most. Now I would say that he is the most successful graduate of that uh, elite license um, elite license piece. If you're wondering why I'm looking at my phone, I just have a couple of things that I've been looking at here uh, on my phone, and I you know you think I could find them when I wanted to because um, I wanted to look here at uh, I've been speaking to to somebody with uh, that that follows Blackpool or that works predominantly in, in, in reporting in Blackpool. And they mentioned some really, really interesting things to me about, about Neil Critchley. Um, and I'll get your comments in a moment, but I'm just kind of on a, on a roll and I'm a bit excited about this. Neil Critchley is like, basically he's all about, number one, youth development. When he came into Blackpool, his, his MO was essentially to buy League One, League Two players, develop them through the through the the, the structure of pretty much playing Blackpool like a like an academy team and developing them that way and then maybe selling them on. Obviously, Blackpool, not the most cash-rich club in the world. Obviously, selling on players like that, that they would maybe um, cultivate themselves in their own setup would be very beneficial for them. And that was really his MO, but he was doing it with great results as well. The way he played football on the field was extremely attack-minded. I'm just going to look here to see, um, to, to just... just Checking my notes and some of the things that I that I wrote down here. Um, basically, uh, Critchley's Blackpool attack with a front five. The fullbacks regularly overlap and um, can be found very high up the field. Now, who does that remind you of? Can't quite put my finger on it. Fullbacks high up the field like to get involved in the attack. It'll come to me. It'll come to me. I I I can't remember who that is. Um, but it sounds very familiar. Like I think we could be seeing it. Yeah. It, I've seen a lot of it since October last year, and I, I, I can't remember where I've seen it. But um, obviously, I'm joking. But that's something that Aston Villa like to do, obviously. Fullbacks like to get high. He did that with um, Luke Garbutt, I think, is their former Everton uh, graduate, is, is, is with Blackpool at the moment, and they used to do that. He used to play two up top. Um, quite a lot in four four two, but he was also very tactically flexible. Played three at the back quite a lot. Played three at the back against Swansea, um, this season, um, and and wasn't afraid to mix it up. Very much valued the on the field aspect, on the coaching field, should I say, aspect of being able to to drill his players and getting getting the most out of his players. And and God knows, you know, that's I think sometimes you can point the finger at some of the Aston Villa players and say, well, maybe they're not getting the most out of themselves. And, and hopefully, uh, Critchley will be able to come in. And, and do things like that. He creates overload specifically on the left-hand side. Now, if I'm painting a picture here and you think I'm being overly biased, 
I'm only saying what I what I've heard and what I've what I've been told today. Um, and I spent time on the phone with this person, so I've just been trying to make notes of I'm, I'm a mental memory. Creates overloads on the left hand side, likes his build up play from that side. Um, very much uh, plays plays like like to that level. And I'm thinking that we could see Coutinho a small bit further to the left uh, is basically what I'm getting at here. And I think when you've got somebody after Coutinho Zilk playing from that side, cutting in like he did for Liverpool, that might be very beneficial. It might it might show us something that he might want to do in the future. Um, essentially, that he attacks with five, defends with five. That's kind of how he does it. Um, it, it, and it needs to be very disciplined because he likes to only commit two players to each line. And what I mean by that is the the obviously you've got the wings, the half space, and the center portion of the field. He likes to only try and commit two players to each to each line maximum when he possibly can. And what that means is, although I've said that he goes with high fullbacks and overlapping fullbacks as well, if it calls for it, and if the defenders, if the the strikers seem to get caught out outside with the wingers. Kind of like, I'm going to say, like, obviously I'm not comparing Blackpool to Bayern Munich, but the way that Philip Lamb used to cut inside and be an, is there such thing as underlapping fullback? So maybe cut inside and, and and kind of narrow the field a small bit from that point of view. Um, he has actually allowed the likes of Garbutt, and, and I can't pronounce the other guy's name, that, that plays in the other side. I, I, it's it, it's Keshi, not that I can't pronounce it, I can't remember his surname, Keshi something. Um, the plays in the other side of the other side of defense. He allows them to come in field a small bit more. Um, specifically if they're not involved in the attacks, if the wing players or if midfielders get caught out in those wide areas, he allows them to come in a small bit more. That's that's basically what I've been told with him. I have to do a lot more analysis and, and see and see how he plays. Um like I'm just scrolling through my uh uh, he was he was imp- like everybody from man woman child and black blackpool seems to think that he is like the, he, they played some of the most attacking free flowing fluid um aggressive at times football that uh, that they've played in quite a long time and um you know they they're distraught that they've lost him and i said that that sometimes that can be um that can be as good a barometer as anything but he is going back to what he knows um he is going back to a he, he is going back to, I suppose, his roots with regards to, excuse me, developing young players. Aston Villa's crop of young players coming through is going to be really important to them. I think that this is a good indication that the likes of uh, young Tim, you know, essentially anybody who can play to a tactic, anybody who can out-train other people, as Stephen Gerrard has said, if you're training better than, than some senior players, well, then you're going to be selected. If you're out-playing other players in the, in the practice field, you're going to be selected. And Neil Critchley seems to be that kind of guy. Um, he seems to have that same ethos as well from the point of view that he is a youth coach first and foremost. And now he is he did get the the managerial job at Blackpool to do essentially that job with a senior team. And now he's coming back to his, to his roots where he will be able to uh, probably merge the two of them together at a team like Aston Villa, who have such a good youth structure coming up, will be able to utilize some of the younger names that are coming through there. And, and that's very much the feeling. That's the only reason that a lot of Blackpool fans, well, that and, and the, you know, the old... Uh, the old uh, Schnecke Fiver here and there, I'd say that Aston Villa are after firing around the place um, to try and get him to Villa Park because um, when speaking to, to to Blackpool fans, they think that, you know, the appeal for him must be the crop of young players and maybe getting back to doing that again, something that he feels he did really well. There's a ton of comments. I do apologize for neglecting comments. Um Rod Humble, you no, thank you. Don't thank me at all. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Uh, it means an awful lot. But Rod says, thanks for doing the research, Neil. Very insightful. Shaping up to be a great summer. So excited to see Villa play next season. And and I think I think that that's an interesting thing as well, that it is shaping up to be a nice summer because we're not like we're not wasting any time doing anything. It looks like we've got contingency plan after contingency plan after contingency plan. It kind of strikes me that uh, as that um that clip is, you know, uh, I can't remember what show it's from. Is it from Peep Show? That's so Gerard. That that clip. It it, it kind of strikes me that Gerard would be like that. That he would be very very meticulous in planning. Um, now I'm sure that this was he was on a short list, Neil Critchley, and it probably came about over the last couple of days. But I'm sure that this wasn't something that just came about last night. Is what I'm trying to say. Um, but uh, I'm getting the sense that we're being run pretty well, um, from the top down. Um, looking at a couple of the num- a couple of the comments here. 
very quickly. Um, yeah, this is this is it. This is this says it all for me. As David Tomeski says, League One promotions. Pep Guardiola has a big fat zero beside his name. Never been promoted out of League One. Neil Critchley has won. Need I say more? Exactly, I agree one hundred percent with you, David. Um. Uh, Michael Huggins, you did in fairness. Michael said, "Stop panicking. This is a, this is new Aston Villa now. We know what we want and we get who we want. It's it, it sure does look like that at the moment. It absolutely does." Um, Ad says he certainly like to use four four two at Blackpool, so maybe some hope for our wingers yet. Yeah, I, I think that's. I, I listened to to a podcast and I actually listened to an interview he gave after a game. I just listened to a random interview to see what he was like and his demeanor was, and I think the four four two was very much league specific for him. I don't think it was his his natural kind of ride or die type of formation. I think it was more so a league specific for him, and he felt he could get the most out of that with a more physical league and, and occupy the two centre halves. And um, but I'm open to suggestion on that certainly, and I'm hoping to get somebody on who will know a whole lot more about this than me. Um, where else are we? Uh, uh, where am I? Is that is this about me? I'm taking it. You must have turned down the job first, right? Yeah, I can't. I'm a young child inside. Can't be. Can't be taking assistant manager jobs, flying back and forth to Birmingham every day. Can't be doing that. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, lives six miles from Blackpool and played for Blackpool FC walking footy team and managed the over sixties. They're so angry. But well, Sai's going to be our man in the ground and keep us keep us honest in, in what what our thoughts are or what their thoughts are, should I say, over the coming days. But uh <laughs> that's great. So you managed oh you managed the over sixties. I thought you said you played for the over sixties because I was gonna say you don't look like you're over sixty. I was gonna say you look really fresh. But uh <laughs> I'm sure uh <laughs> I'm sure you don't want to tell us your age, so it's absolutely fine. I get it. Um, where are we? And where else are we? Uh, ba -ba -ba uh, oh, uh, where are we? The Villa content. up the Villa podcast. Loving your content as well, guys. You guys are uh, literally like machines for this stuff. So uh, keep it pumping out up the Villa podcast. The guys, Luke, Justin, Ryan. Um, gosh, I'm going to forget people there. Hannah. All the guys that are on there, um, there's there's a million and one people, and they all do a fantastic job and up the villa. So thanks a million for tuning in. Really appreciate that as well, guys. Um, Nigel Franklin says, don't don't Blackpool like a four four two? Yeah, and as I say, I, I think it might be league specific. I, I, once again, I'm I'm three hour. I'm two. I'm realistically, I'm an hour and twenty minutes into my into my uh, research on him, considering I had to put the child to bed, but. Um, it's uh yeah it's it's one of those ones that I'm open to correction on but he kind of alluded to the fact that it was league specific specifically when he played and when he came to up to the championship and he played three at the back against Swansea and against somebody else I think he might have played a different formation against Bristol as well and it went out and they blitzed Bristol in a game um I listened I, I watched the uh, highlights of that game too um and I think it was three at the back for that game as well uh, just before I came on um. Where else are we? Uh, ba, 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 ba. K KF KFWH. Are we trying to get Victor Osman? And uh, and if not, why? I, I I don't know, and I don't think we are trying to get him. I think he's going to go for a hundred million plus, um, and I don't think he's going to go this season. If he does, it's going to be for mega money, um, and I think maybe maybe it could be in a, a Paris Saint Germain job that he ends up at, but uh, I don't know. Um, Sai is under sixty. We've. We've uh, we've established that. Like, well, that's good. That's good to know. Not that being over sixty is bad. Jesus, I'm going to turn off all the all the people over sixty. All the pensioners are going to turn off the podcast now. I do apologize to anybody who's over sixty. There's nothing wrong with that either. Um, PSK was the man who first came onto the podcast and talked about Mike Garhi. Uh, he says, "Not no need to apologize." Jesus, uh, I had the right club but wrong person. I was told that from a former Liverpool youth coach. Now Blackpool was going to be Gerrard's number two. Never thought it would be Critchley. Absolutely, I don't think anybody did. You know, um, I don't think anybody did at all. Uh, but uh, look, we are where we are, and we have to be happy with it. I think because he's really, really well thought of. Um, really, really well thought of indeed. Uh, Hippo Hippo eighty four says says it's all about Villa that they can get Critchley to leave a manager post to become an assistant. One hundred percent agree. Uh, absolutely, one hundred percent agree. Um, uh, where are we? Where else are we? Dean says assistant leaves to become manager. Manager leaves. Manager leaves to become assistant. Madness. Excited though, and and that's what it is, and that's why the football league is kind of looking specifically. Some some uh, championship commentators are kind of talking that it's just such a merry-go-round, and it doesn't make sense. 
it doesn't make sense. A lot of people were actually saying, yes, it's great to see Michael. Yesterday, they went from saying it's great to see Michael Beale getting his chance as a coach um, to be a, a full, co proper coach and manager at, at QPR. And then they said, like I've heard people say today, that it's maybe set that kind of tone back again today, the fact that a manager has gone back to being a coach of the Premier League team. But I don't think you can blame Aston Villa for that. We've got our own house to look after, you know, and um, and it'd be interesting to hear what the papers tomorrow say about it, and maybe not even the papers, but what the commentary tomorrow says about it. But you, um, it's yeah, it's 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 a really interesting. One. I'm sure it's going to be dominated with Aston Villa back of the Brinks truck, and and so what if we did? To be honest with you, you know, we've our own patch to look after, and um, and uh, well, I do feel sorry for Blackpool, and I feel sorry for the predicament that they're now in after a guy only signed a five-year contract six months ago. You know, we've been in that boat with Fabian Delph, Jack Grealish. You know, it's not nice. It does cut a, a small bit, specifically when it's somebody who's done so much good for your club. But um, yeah, as I say, I sure it will all come out in the wash in, in future. Um, uh, this is a good one from James. James Billingham, uh, James, who was on the podcast last night, uh, says, saw a Blackpool fan earlier saying he was very good at exposing opponents' weaknesses. Love that to be the case. That's right. That is 100% right. And um, that's what I tend to see from um, from the fact that he's tactically fluid. He he does obviously have a base tactic, but um, he, he I, I read an interview. I read a, a, a piece on, on um, it was in, was it in the Lancaster whatever the Lancaster newspaper is. Um, it was in that, and uh, he did mention that. He said that, you know, you're obviously going to have your base, but you're, you're going, to want to, going to want to merge the two as well. Um, so that's going to do it for, for, for me today, guys. I'm sorry to end the podcast so abruptly. Um, I'm going to play a little video for you here. It's about 20 minutes, and I hope you guys stay with it. It is a video of, um, of a conversation I had with Josh. So I hope you enjoy it. Up Neil Critchie, up the villa, and here comes the ska music. Um, don't adjust your sets. Paddy hasn't. So it's uh, all for play for still. I think so. Do you want to bet against us? Hello, everybody, and welcome back to For the Love of Pomegranate podcast. And I'm delighted to be back again with another one of our 2021-2022 positional group season reviews. Um, don't adjust your sets. Paddy hasn't found a fountain of youth or anything there and changed his appearance. I'm delighted today to be joined by Josh from A View from the Stands YouTube channel. If you guys don't know who Josh is, you're doing YouTube wrong, number one. You need to you need to go and, and follow his channel because uh, it's just it's a great, wholesome look at all things football really you know uh all things football but with a villa slant which is always nice nice to see uh josh thank you so much for giving up your time and for for chatting with me today uh how is all in your life yeah thank you for uh, having me on really appreciate it um yeah not bad actually currently on half term at the moment um so i'm a teacher as well so Excellent. it's been a time to unwind relax a little bit and then uh head into the final term so yeah all, all's pretty good to be honest um and obviously just uh, enjoying all the football speculation the drama or maybe not enjoying it as much uh, with some recent news coming out of the club but yeah just uh yeah enjoy my time so yeah cheers now yeah appreciate it i don't want to i i don't make you feel bad but uh you know here in ireland uh the school year is finished. I think we finish up a month earlier than you guys. So if you're thinking about relocating and taking your, your transferable skills and teaching, Ireland is the spot. It's a, a month less work for you guys. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you've told me the weather though up there. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, that, that's, that's going to have to be balanced out. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, it swings and roundabouts. It swings and roundabouts, isn't that what they say? But uh, yeah, you, you know, you're right. It's... Um, it's 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 speculation season and it's it's a season where we look back and see where by Aston Villa and I think every team is doing it obviously to see where they can improve and to move forward and and we will look at that uh, in a moment specifically with the forward options is what I've titled it because we don't it would be a very short podcast if we were talking about Danny Ings and and, and Ali Watkins only we want to bring in the cohort of of attacking options that we have considering we've played nines and tens this season uh, I think it's only fair to do that but before we do that I'd like to get your opinion on I suppose most recent uh, events 
clubs club have done some really good transfer business. I think we we should be excited about Diego Carles and, and Bubakar Kamara. How are you feeling about those those guys and the additions that they can bring to the team um, uh, in, in the coming season? Yeah, it's shrewd, quick business, um, which is the most important thing. Um, I get a sense of urgency from Stephen Jarrod that mm. he wants to get his players in before he hits the ground running pre-season. Of course, we're over in Australia for a large part of our pre-season. So, mm-hmm. you know, you want a settled squad. Business is going to be hard to be sort of sorted out if it's the other side of the world, I think, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I like the additions. I think, you know, every, every Villa fan will has been banging on for the last probably 18 months about how we need to hold a midfielder. He's addressed it. The centre-half option, you know, would Villa fans address that as a key area that needed to be addressed immediately? Probably not, but it shows a bit of intent, a bit of experience there. And I think I think it's a very shrewd piece of business there. And Sevilla fans' reactions sort of told you everything you need to know about the player that we are bringing into our ranks. So, few questions still to be asked about what next, where next, and who next in terms of coming in, but also maybe leaving the club as well. Mm. Yeah, and that's an interesting one. And, and I think we'll, we'll leave the speculation of outgoings, uh, maybe. Well, we'll talk about maybe the forward options that we have, but we, we could be here for the rest of the week and for a whole lot of your half term if, we if we were to get into the nuts and bolts of, of uh, everybody within the team, because I think it's a very nuanced conversation with a lot of players yeah. that we have that while reactionaries directly after a season, you could say, oh, yeah, I bid him off, you know, or whatever. Um, but I suppose the nuanced reaction is something that, uh, that, that will be taken into account, I know, by the people within the halls of Bodymore Heath and within the halls of Villa Park themselves. Um, but also we've had some, I suppose, not so great news, but I think timing-wise, it, it's, it's you know, now is the right time to, to do it if it was going to happen. But obviously Michael Beale has left um, the consigliere, the right-hand man, the fixer, if you want to call it, whatever you want to call it, whatever term you want to come up with for, for Stephen Gerrard. Uh, has left to take up the the, the head honcho job himself at, at QPR. I'd be interested to know your feelings on the effect you think that's going to have on Aston Villa. And uh, I don't know, maybe you have thoughts or designs on who maybe might be the man to come in to replace him. Or uh, I don't know if you want to break any news, if you have any news to break or anything like that in the podcast. I wish, I wish. Um, <laughs> it's a really interesting one because everything you read about uh, and I remember when Jared was appointed. Everyone was very excited when Jared was appointed. But one of the big hypes and the big talking points was everyone talking about his backroom team. And people mm. couldn't talk enough about Michael Beale. And if you read a lot of Gerard's interviews, or, or and early ones as well, he'll talk about the fact that he is a very hands-off manager in the sense that his coaching staff, his coaching team run the sessions. He gives 100% trust to them. He'll jump in when he needs to. And he'll just basically back off when he needs to. Uh, and my sense is that Michael Bill is very hands-on in the training ground. And there's been a few players who have alluded to that as well. So, look, I, I think it's very easy to go, don't worry, it's fine. We'll get someone in to replace him, blah, blah, blah. There is that. And, and, I, and I have every sense and confidence that we will get a very good person in. But don't get me wrong. I think this will hit Jared hard. I think he'll, he's worked with this person um, in Michael Bill in four seasons where he's done incredible things at Rangers. He's gone on a journey of his managerial sort of nuance of him. And it's it's going to be a void that Gerard will need to fill and he knows how important that role is. So look, I could and I, I could literally downplay it and go, it's fine, we'll get someone else in. But I genuinely, if I was being really honest, I think it's a massive blow. But But the timing of it is okay in the sense that it gives us time to recruit. But I'll say it again, we need someone in ASAP because mm-hmm. pre-season, we've got to, for me, the biggest thing about this season with Gerard is we've got to find an identity. We've got to find a style. He's shown us what he wants to do. We do have an identity, but it needs to be fine-tuned. And I think he's going to stick with that. And he needs someone to come and fine-tune this with, his, with the coaching. So it's a big one. In terms of replacements, you know, when I saw Xabi uh, Alonso's name come in, I thought at first you'd take it and go, oh, yeah, this is going to be class. Like, who wouldn't want Alonso, you know? Um, but the more I think about it, it's not going it, to, it, it isn't going to be that name. 
it isn't going to be a household name. It's going to be a guy who's done his coaching badges, who's been in youth setups, who's been in under 23s, who's been maybe an assistant at a low league club, but someone who I think Gerard will, 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 will look at and go, your coaching CV is incredible, like incredible. You have a vast amount of experience. Uh, and that's what I'd be doing if I was Gerald, not maybe someone who's an up and coming coach, not someone who's a, you know, an ex player who's dabbled in a mm. bit of the industry. Gerard's our pulling power. We don't need Alonso and Gerard to pull in. I mean, are we trying to get Messi or Ronaldo? Like, you know, Gerard's our pulling power. Let's get a world class coach who fits to Gerard's philosophy and it's essentially going to be the bee's knees on the training pitch. I really agree. I agree with that point. I certainly do. There's, there's actually a lot of points I agree with what you said there, um, specifically the timing point of Michael Beale. And, and I've said it in previous podcasts that if there was a time to lose Michael Beale, it's this, this off-season. The fact he's only had eight months with the club, uh, implementation of his, of his methodologies and so on uh, haven't been ingrained. They haven't become habitual. They haven't become, um, they haven't become standardized place within the, with, like, eight months isn't enough time to eight months with breaks for internationals with people being injured and with game planning specific game planning for team on team on team week on week on week and um, we like the, the the guys don't know what what, what a preseason under michael beale is so now is the right time to do it coinciding i think as well with i've said previously stephen jared's in paris i was in paris last weekend i'd imagine he's probably gone after sunny or climbs after paris and not come back to sit at his desk in Baltimore Heat for a week. Then before he goes off, I think he would combine the two together. So I, he's he's away on holidays at the moment. Uh, what I'm getting at here is that I think that we will see fast, decisive action. I don't think this is news to Stephen Gerrard, obviously. If it is, that's, you know, there's the, 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 the warm, fuzzy feeling to Michael Beale might be a small bit. Like, for me, that would be tainted. If he if he landed like if if there was no expectation here if it was a sudden U turn a sudden change of mind then we'll never know that and I'm not I'm I'm really speculating here uh, but what I'm getting at as well is that Stephen Gerrard knows who's here so these conversations with potentials have probably been going back alley for the last two to three weeks um, since the news broke about Michael Beale maybe going to Charlton then maybe going to 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 QPR and now obviously ending up at QPR um, I would imagine if Stephen Gerrard is back this week maybe middle of next week. I'm saying that the runway for an announcement of a new coach is probably the latter half of next week. Um, given that players are probably going to be back for mid-year ass- or for uh, new new season assessments, you're probably—I don't know the exact dates—you're imagining any time from the 20th, 21st, 22nd, 23rd of June onwards. They're going to get two weeks, maybe in in Bodymore Heat, maybe ten days before they they jet out to to Australia, and I think they jet out to Australia early in July. So if you're just um, if you're just uh, just even going by the timeframes, like speed is of the essence, and uh, I I think we'll find out who this person is uh, before the before the end of next week, maybe within the next seven days, maybe early next week, who knows? But um, from that point of view, who it will be, I agree with you one hundred percent. I think this is going to be a coach, a specific specialized coach, as opposed to a Michael Carrick coming in. Uh, I saw his name last night and I went. Interesting, and then the more I thought of it, I went, "No, no, no, no. We, we don't need that. No. We need somebody who can come in and set out cones and do do the things properly on the training field. And maybe Carrick can do that, but there are guys who've who seventeen years experience, or twenty years experience, or twenty five years experience. And the fact that Gerard referenced that specifically with Michael Beale, that he would need fifteen years coaching experience to even catch up with Michael Beale where he is now. Never mind where he could be in in fifteen years time. I think that's it. That's an insight into what Stephen Gerrard wants, and he's he's an intelligent guy. So I agree with you. I think this is going to not going to be a household name. The Zabi Alonso stuff, it's fine. But I think the Gary Mac, Gary Mack is doing the Zabi Alonso role that Stephen Gerrard referenced in his book. Yeah. So it's exciting. I think it's going to be exciting to see who we get. And the rumour mill will fly, uh, I'm sure, over the next few days with regards to coaching. So moving along to the main course of uh, our striking options that we've had, or forward options, I'm going to call it. Um, an area of flux, I think, throughout the course of the season, if, if uh, I, I think it's fair to say. Would it be fair to say to, to you, Joshua, would you agree with the statement that even from day one, start of the season, we had, we had no idea how we were going to set up in the striking department? As in, we didn't know whether we were playing one or two or who our best one was or what we were going to do. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, you know, 
considering as well, we had Dean, Dino, so manager. Uh, I, I feel like the intention of Danny Ings maybe was signed to play with two, maybe, maybe originally. But um, yeah, I think that's a very fair point. And do you think because there was some guy I know it was some guy that was that was uh, broadcasting stuff on Twitter and talking about Jack Grealish leaving and maybe breaking it to everybody I don't know who he is I don't know <laughs> exactly who it is. oh no it's that way <laughs> I don't know who it is but uh, do do you think that you know obviously we had such a truncated off season COVID cancellation of matches then all of a sudden we get Danny Ings out of the blue and Jack Grealish leaves a week or two, a week and a half or whatever it was out from the season that's obviously got an effect as well. But the lingering effect, I think, now when we look back in it, I think it's fair to say that that lingered until Smith left and probably on until almost until after Christmas. I think the lingering effect, because we couldn't get the guys that we brought to brought in to replace um, and, and to try and formulate a new a new structure. We couldn't get those guys fit. And, and, and that had a huge knock on effect. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, yeah. Very frustrating. Um, we couldn't see our 90 million pounds that we spent, basically. Yeah. Um, and you could argue we haven't seen that spent. Uh, we haven't seen the full fruition of it um, this season. Um, so hopefully it's an investment that carries into this season. Um, but, you know, there has been some bright sparks at times for Danny Ings. Buendia has become a, a player that fans have taken to really well. Mm-hmm. I think he's becoming like the fan favourite, the cult hero in that sense. Um, and of course... You know, Leon Bailey is an attacking option, lived up to so much promise, but absolutely is made of glass, by it, it seems. So, um, yeah, I, I think that our four options really will be judged this season, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. I think this is the biggest season for our forwards now in terms of you've had a year to settle, but it's time to kick on now. Where do you think that, and before we kind of, we'll, we'll touch on individuals and speak on specific individuals in a moment, but... If you're Steven Gerrard and you're looking at the promise that £30 million Leon Bailey has, £30 million Ollie Watkins has, £30 million Danny Ings has, £30 million uh, Buendia has, what could have been £30 million in Philippe Coutinho, obviously the Jedi mind tricks of Johan Lange, we talked it down to £17 million. But, you know, that's a big chunk. So what have I, like, how much money have we on the table there? We have the bones of £150 million, £140 million on the table there. In, in in attacking options that other teams would kill for, absolutely mm-hmm. kill for. What yeah. do you think was the most underwhelming kind of aspect of that? Uh, of the fact that, and uh, bearing in mind that Steven Gerrard only came in in October, so it's going to be like, it's not anything really to do with his fault as such. But what do you think the underwhelming part for him would be? Easy answer is to say Leon Bailey, because we've hardly seen him. Um, mm. And again, it's like, but if I was to be a real critical thinker about it, I'd actually say Danny Ings. And the reason why I say that is because I believe he would score 15 plus goals this season. Uh, reality is he hasn't. But there's combinations and factors as to that. Played out of position, not played as an out-and-out number nine. Um, and I'd say limited minutes. Um, so yeah, do I do like as I said, the easy answer is go Leon Bailey, most of the one, but actually, my biggest hope and expectation was Danny Ings being that talisman, that bagsman that we mm-hmm. are crying out for. Hasn't happened, but I will defend Danny Ings and say, play him in his right position for a whole season, for most of the season, and you'll see those goals. And I do believe that, yeah. Do you like there was a time during the season when you would, before you had, you, you might say Ollie, and before you say Watkins, before the come out of your mouth, somebody would tweet at you, and or, or, not you specifically, but somebody would have tweeted on Twitter going, Watkins and Ings don't work together. You know, before, yeah. literally before, either one of those names would even have rolled off your tongue. Someone was mad to say to you, they can't play together, they don't work together. You know, has the season kind of softened people's approach on that? Have we seen that they can work together? And it's going to be a leading question because I might as well ask the second question as well. Do you think we persevere with two nines or is the, is the door just so wide open for two tens that the, that the offseason is going to be predicated on, on, on formulating that relationship between two tens as opposed to two nines? Personally, personally, um, if you look at all the big teams that are successful, your cities, your Liverpools, your Chelsea's, 
they all play one one man down the middle as their goal scorer. And they have those inverted wingers, out-and-out wingers, um, who keep the width. For me, we are in a period where we can't get that balance right, where we're trying to play a, a, a one-man-led attack but we're not sure if that number nine used to drop in like a Firmino and try and link up play or whether it's got to stretch in behind. And also then our inverted players for me, I just, I just don't think I, I, I would like to see us have more width. I really would like us to see have more width and not just run fullbacks to give us the width. So we're in that period there. Would I like to see, and as you said, do, do we persevere with two nines? If you've got the goal-scoring capabilities of Danny Ings and he's being forced to play as an inverted 10, winger, whatever you want to call it, you may as well not have Danny Ings. Okay. That's, that, that's the honest approach for me. If you've got a goal-scorer, play him as a goal-scorer. Don't play him as an inverted player. So I think there's a decision there. If you're going to perverse, persevere with both of them, use them both as they so desire. If you're not, bin one of them off. That's and that's an interesting one because you have so so you're the, you, you've come down the side and I think I have too that it's going to be two tens as opposed to two nines going forward and I don't think we would see the fluidity that we had previously about some days we start with two tens some days we start with two nines I think we have to get bolder and we have to get uh, more conclusive and, and make the decision as opposed to as you say playing a player out of position and that was going to be my next question is. Does that open the door to us potentially seeing an outgoing? Like everybody is probably talking about, Traore is going to leave. Maybe Leon Bailey gets out. I don't think there's a hope in all of hell that it would open up and swallow me now that Leon Bailey is going to get sold this offseason. Unless he kicks up major stink and maybe his dad has a big, massive YouTube yeah. rant on it. I don't think there's any way in the world that he's going to be sold because I think that they see so much potential in him. And I think Jared really wanted to give him a run that, but his body just wasn't in the position to do it this season. A good off season. Maybe we see where he kicks on from there. But do you think, like, um, West Ham are sniffing around Ollie Watkins for 50 million. Do you think that would be enough to prime away? There's talks that Brighton are sniffing around Danny Ings for in around the 25 million mark. Do you think that's enough money to pry them away away from us? Or do you think uh, the club will stand firm and maybe add as opposed to subtract to those two players? I think Gerard prefers one to the other and I can't work out which one it is. I can't work out which one it is. I think he prefers Watkins slightly more than Ings. I do. Um, it's a, it's a, if, the right, if the right money comes... Could happen. It could happen. Mm. I, I don't envisage it. I, I actually envisage addition. Um, I envisage like Keenan Davis going out. Obviously, like, like if the club gets fifteen million for the Keenan Davis, I think everybody is really happy about that. I spoke to a, a Forest fan, um, who as part of a loan watch piece that it will be coming out next week. Spoke to him. He said he would pay fifteen million for what Keenan Davis brings to the team. There are some Villa fans here. I, I said in the podcast, I said some Villa fans would have let him go for free. You know, um, but I suppose he's worked what he's worked to a team. Um, I think that's great business for everybody if everybody's happy to do that. Obviously, Bertrand Troy is going to command a fee. Um, you know, so there's there's ways of recouping money there. But as you say, I think I think it's an underrated and an un, a slightly slept upon area that we could see our big name go from one of our two strikers. You know, specifically when it wasn't brought in by by Steven Gerrard. Any any final thoughts, I suppose, on the on the strike the the, the forward options? I didn't even mention Coutinho Buendia. They're staying, yeah. Neither of those two. Well, obviously Coutinho. I had to go to sell him after buying him for seventeen million. But Buendia's staying, yeah. There's no he's not going anywhere, no. But yeah, Buendia's definitely staying, and I think he will start. I think he, I think he will go with Coutinho and Buendia. I think they will be the two. Um, I don't think we'll recruit in that area, and I think he will bite his tongue and say those two can play together. Because I thought when they played against Man City and when they played against Burnley at home back end of the season, we were a different level. We are a different level with those two on the pitch together. And all Villa fans want to see it, right? All Villa fans want to see Buendia and Coutinho playing together. They're two most technical gifted players. So, yeah, that's a no-brainer for me. And, and if they do play together... We're going to be in a situation whereby we don't really like like who comes off the bench to replace one of those if needs be. Do like if we have Danny Ings and Ali Watkins, and we're not in the perpetual state of being where we were this season of having to completely 
throw a grenade into the middle of the the setup and have essentially game plan for two setups in any in any eventuality. So, my, my and we were not going to be able to answer this question today. So I think sometimes I personally, and I'm only having this epiphany now, I think personally sometimes I've been too quick to dismiss the fact that we might we might actually sign an attacking midfielder. I'm not saying we pay big money for one. Like Tommy O'Reilly's very young. I know he's very very highly thought of. For my money, I can't really think of anybody else that could come in there, bar Chuck Wemeka, um, if he sticks around. Uh, I don't think, I think the pipe dream of John McGinn playing in the 10 position ain't going to happen at Aston Villa. Um, but... I think it might be an area that might be slept on for for uh, recruitment. Um, I think over the summer we didn't even touch on Cameron Archer. Uh, you think he stays or goes next season? Think he stays here? Or do you think he goes back out and loan to build on what he's done at Preston? Loan. Um, the reason I say that is Cameron had a fantastic start at Preston, then dropped off the second half of the season, and I think that's just exposure to minutes. And I think that he will benefit so much more going out on loan and playing another full championship season than basically getting cup appearances here and there for Villa. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. And now that we have all the contacts in the world in the championship, like Ryan Lowe is an, is an option for him at Preston. Yeah. Hey, Mr. Smith, I'm sure Mr. Smith's going to come knocking on the door. There's no animosity towards him. He, he could be looking for players to bolster his squad when he goes down. We know Norwich don't splurge cash. Yeah. They want they, they live on parachute payment, payments, essentially. And then now we've got Mr. Beal, Mr. Beal at QPR. So there are options, mid-table high, uh, and, and, and high-level uh, expected. Well, we expect Norwich to be challenging towards the top of the championship. And I think that I think that Mr. Smith will come back and will maybe look to give minutes to the likes of maybe a young Tim, uh, get him in there, get him some experience, and maybe a Cameron Archer as well. Because mm. let's for, let's not forget that it was Dean Smith that gave him his big break, you know, yeah. and it was it was just Stephen Gerrard that sent him out. So um, they obviously think highly of him; they've given him a contract. But I think that next year will be a minimum of six months on loan somewhere, um, whether it's the first half of the season or the second half of the season. But I think his his development will continue. Any final thoughts? Because I'm sure I don't want to take up all all, all your day here. Uh, no. Any final thoughts on, on on the striker position? Um, do you, if we were to speculate, like what type of striker do you think Stephen Gerrard would like to bring in there to complement the guys, or do you think he's happy with his lot? Uh, I mean, I could go on and describe the ideal striker, and it would sound like Lewandowski. Do you know what I mean? You know, or or Harry Kane or Haaland. What what I get from Gerrard is that. The man who leads the line needs to be able to run in behind, stretch play, um, and and secure the ball, hold the ball. Um, so, for me, Watkins does stretch play quite well. Hold up play to be desired sometimes, like really lets him down. And then other games, it's like he's got Velcro on him and it sticks to him. You're thinking, why can't you do that all the time? But the big one for me is the natural finisher. If you could put Danny Ings' finish in, on Ollie Watkins, you've got a uh, and a bit of a, a combination of a, a Keenan Davis hold-up play. You've got the ideal Villa striker, um, but I think Gerard will look at the numbers this season. Ollie Watkins eleven goals, two assists. Danny Ings seven goals, six assists. Both thirteen goal contributions equal. But he'll want a striker, and I and I think you you have to look at it. If we are serious about finishing top ten minimum. Top eight, you need a you need a fifteen goal a season striker. And I would ask many Villa fans out there, how much faith do they have in Ollie Watkins scoring fifteen plus goals in a season? I think more would say no than yes. Do I have faith in Danny Ings scoring fifteen plus goals? I do, I really do. But his all round play, for me, I call him Casper the Ghost sometimes because he just goes missing, but then will crop up or pop up with a goal. So yeah, I I I. I really think he will eye a goal scorer. He'll he'll he won't mess around with numbers. Someone who's clinical in and around the red zone, the eighteen yard box, um, and he'll really delve into those stats about who is a who is a clinical finisher in those areas and doesn't miss key chances, big chances. Um, and that for me is where we've been let down this season. We've played some good teams. We've played well. We've had one or two big chances or half chances, and we haven't taken them. We haven't taken them, and, and then we go and lose the game. And that, for me, has been where we have been let down in some areas massively. I couldn't agree more. 
And that's why, and I know it's been debunked and he's not, it doesn't look like he's coming in that broke yesterday, but that was one of my reasons for Suarez being in there. Like having someone that comes in and just all he's there for is to put the ball in the back of the net. Um, uh, Suarez can still do that at 35 years of age. That is undeniable. Last year with, with a let go, he did it. This year he did it with, with uh, less minutes. He would have still ended up top scorer in Aston Villa's team with 13 goals playing, uh, playing mm. if, he, if he was to continue the way he did. Uh, and, and in a team, uh, let it go, that were just so defensive-minded and they were turgid and frustratingly just wanted to get in your face and, and became like the bad boys of European football. Um, but obviously, look, Suarez ain't coming, but I think, I think there is merit in the fact that Steven Gerrard will sniff around if the right guy... Uh, if the right guy shows his head or comes, but I think it'll be later in the in the transfer window. I don't think it's yeah. pivotal to come in here and how we play. I think it's the the cherry on top, and I and and I like the um I like what you said there because that's exactly how I feel. I think you just need a guy who can be in the right places, who can get across defenders and get to the dirty dirty ones at the front post, who can uh, maybe has a bit taller in stature, and uh, you know he's he's going to make himself uh, a bit more felt in and around the penalty area because the two guys that we have are very much. Um, link players and they do like to come yeah. deep and if, if you're not feeding them the ball they do tend to go missing in games sometimes as well so a really interesting one and that's why it leads me to believe that players like Emmanuel Dennis might not be the guy I know he's been linked um, he, he isn't really that type of player that we're we're looking for and Richarlison isn't really that type of player um, so I think that the, I think that the speculation will go on and on with regards to the striker towards the end of the, end of the transfer window but the core groups will be gotten in soon in that um, Josh, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Really, really insightful. Really great thoughts there, and really great, um, great opinions on, on the strike force and and on the forward options that we have. Um, as I say, I really appreciate you, appreciate you giving the time. Everybody, follow Josh. Like I feel patronising here saying it, you know, to follow Josh and to follow uh, and to to subscribe to a view from the stand because you're probably doing it already. So uh, as I say, still do it if you're not. So that's I don't want to dissuade you from doing it, but I just presuming that everyone is watching this is probably following Josh already. So um thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Is there anywhere anywhere else that people can find you uh, on Twitter, anywhere else? What's your Twitter handle if you want to pop it's, up? Yeah, just Twitter, Instagram and YouTube, AVFTS one. Um it's all, it's all good and it's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed uh, just talking villa as we could. As I said, we could talk all half term, couldn't worry about everything. Um but uh yeah, absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on your great channel. I really appreciate it. Not at all. Anytime, anytime. So thanks, everybody. Once again, thanks to Josh. Thanks, to everybody, for watching and for listening. If you could give this a little thumbs up, uh, really appreciate it. Also, follow our audio podcast on any of the podcast providers. We would also really appreciate that, too. Um, we've gotten to the end of our of our uh, season reviews, of our positional reviews so far. Um drawing a line under the 2021-2022 season for, the, for the, the moment. And we will be back with more content in the coming days and in the coming weeks. But looking forward to the new season and to what Stephen Gerrard and the Brain Trust within Villa Park brings. So for everybody, uh, enjoy your longer weekend uh, this weekend that you guys over in the UK are going to have. Stay safe, stay healthy, and all that's left to say is up the Villa. Oh. Podcast Network.